Hour 2, Mutt Lou, 93.7 WEEI. We continue with your reaction off a disappointing end to your Bruins season. 3-1 at the Garden last night. Montreal and the Rangers both moving on. Andy Brickley joins us in studio. He's brought to you by HSA Insurance, Joe and Lee's Golf Performance Center, and by Norfolk Power Equipment. So before the game, Brick, you and Jack on Nesson broke down. You broke down your three keys to the game. And if I have these incorrect, please help me out. But net front presence was a big one for you. Both ends. Uh, no gifts was a big one to you. And then Milan Lucic being a factor in the game. I- I'm a tough grader, <laughs> I guess, but I believe that we have an 0 for 3. How'd that work out? Last yeah, night for the exactly. Bruins in Game 7. And, and that's, uh, you know, that's disturbing. You know, when you come up with keys to a game, you try to be different, you know, each game and, and not just make it big picture. And sometimes you really get involved with the X's and O's. Other times you do talk about will or you talk about discipline or you talk about attitude. And those can be somewhere within the keys. But, you know, based on what we had seen the first six games of the series, game seven, as far as the on ice factors were, yeah, you had to own the front of the net. The Bruins were not getting enough inside position in the offensive zone. They weren't getting second and third opportunities. They weren't taking Kerry Price's eyes away from him. And in their own zone, they were allowing too many opportunities right in front of Tuka Rass, whether it was breakaways or layups or, you know, real good looks uh, because of your mismanagement of the puck in most cases. Uh, so, yeah, that was a key. And then gifts. You know, you think about those breakaways and Subban coming out of the penalty box and, you know, the fake shot by Vanek over to Placanitz for a layup goal. Mm. And just, you know, just the mistakes, you know, the middle of mishandle and the first big goal of game six to Larzella. Uh, so no more gifts and, and gifts can be not just turnovers and breakaways and easy goals, but bad line changes, bad penalties. Those are gifts too, especially with the success rate of Montreal's power play. So, and then the third one was Milan Lucic, you know, you never want to put anything on one player. And that's certainly not what I was doing or what we were doing at Ness in the, in the pregame show, but the impact that that kid can have on his team in big games, in big moments, and you obviously you immediately think of period three against Toronto, game seven, the impact that he had in that situation. And this is where you were. And he hadn't done much all series. That line had not done much all series. And if somebody was going to change that uh, dynamic, I thought it would be number 17. And so that's why that was part of the keys for last night's game. And, yeah, 0 for 3. You know, I heard some people were talking about them coming out of the gate slow and Claude Julian and – and I'd said earlier that, I mean, it's game seven. Claude just walks into that locker room, says, boys, game seven, turns around and leaves. That's all he should say. You always talk about showing that will to win. And we've already referenced it a ton here early on in this show. Can you put into words what you saw for the first, I mean, I'll give him 19 minutes. 19 minutes. What What was that? That's the tightest playoff performance I've seen by this Bruins team over the last X amount of years. Inexplicable. To me, you know, I've been giving these guys credit because of the maturity I saw from them all year long. The month of March, which was a huge concern for this organization uh, based on how many Olympians they were going to have and what uh, Tuka's workload was going to look like and and the amount of games they were going to have to play in March. And that's why they put an emphasis of banking a bunch of points early in the year when the schedule favored them. They played Tuka a lot. But then they run the table just about in the month of March, and I'm saying, wow, that is a really mature team. You know, they're using everybody. Everybody understands their role. They accept it. They relish it. They execute it. Uh, This is a team concept. This is why we're good. Top of the league, best record, most points. I thought there was a real maturity. They lose game one to Detroit. Didn't seem to bother them. They come back. They win four straight. Seem real mature about it. 
you think back now, Detroit, a little banged up, a couple of superstars that they rely on that kind of – Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the identity of Detroit, maybe we overemphasized how mature they were, or maybe I did, I should say, uh, because what I saw in the first period last night in a Game 7 situation was immaturity, and, and it was a tight team and uh, almost afraid to, to skate. You know, when we talked about it you know, a couple of days ago, the expectation from here was they're going to go for it. They're going to play their hockey. You know, and, I'm not, and, I, and I haven't talked about Montreal yet in this conversation. But, man, did they do the job. I mean, yeah. you know, we're looking for Boston to play their game. Montreal just refused to let them play it. And until the Bruins said, you know, we have to fight through this and we're capable of fighting through this because we're better than them, it never got to that point. You, when you talk about that tight play, you know, the turnovers from David Krejci, you know, in the first couple of possessions that he had after that first shift, uh, you know, some of the Bruins, that the breakdown that led to that first goal. You think it was the moment, Brick? You think it was the moment of Game 7? Was it the pressure of we are expected to win, we're the favorites to win, and we're on the verge of a coin flip game? Or was it, were they wary of what Montreal had done to them through six games? You had to put your finger on why they came out and played that tight. Well, the real answer is I'm curious to know that myself. Sure. And, and it almost, was it, a, was it an attitude of we got this? Because you think back to after Game 3 and, and you go inside the locker room and you listen to the comments and how calm and cool they were. Okay, you know, we didn't play a very good game. We lost Game 3. We're down in the series. Game 4 becomes almost a must win. But, you know, they had that attitude of we're okay. We're good enough. We're going to win Game 4. We're going to win this series. And then they do. You know, it was a tough game. Game 4 was tough. Could have gone either way. one nothing Overtime, you know. And and they came out of it saying we did what we had to do to get the series where we needed, and then they play their best game in Game Five, and it it, it almost seemed, and, and I may be wrong because I'm not in the room, it almost seemed like coming into Game Seven we got this, hmm. and they went out in Game Seven with the expectation that not that it was going to be easy, but they 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 couldn't match what Montreal was doing. You know, NBC was talking about puck races and puck battles, and they were exactly right. The Bruins weren't getting to the puck first, and they were losing battles along the wall, not by not by brute strength by Montreal, but by quickness, stick-on-stick checks to break up possession, and then that second layer with the quickness come in, now they have possession. They did a lot of that in in the first period especially, and the Bruins were just almost watching Montreal control the game. It just seemed like they wanted it more. They did. You know, like you said, racing to the puck, uh, winning those battles. I I thought you saw, maybe more so than you have, I thought you saw the speed kind of in Game 7. It looked like the Bruins were in slow motion going after the puck. You kind of, you saw that. I I look back at the series now, and I was with you. I just thought they were going to come out and be a different team, and and there's really no excuses. And listen, I I don't think the referees had anything to do with it. I wasn't happy about last night the way they called that game, but the Bruins don't deserve. They didn't deserve to win this series. Montreal did. You know, and a lot has been made about uh, the inexperience for the Bruins uh, on the blue line. Uh, you know, four really first year plays out of six. In I think their that lineup. played a factor. It did, but I don't think it should be the greatest emphasis because. We talked about this uh, before Game 7, the guys that needed to elevate their game. When you have young, inexperienced players, then more must come from the established group, the core group. And did you get enough from that Krejci line? Did you get enough from Marchand on that second line? Did you get enough contributions from the fourth line that's been together now for a long period of time? Did you get enough from Chara and Boychuk as the experienced defense? And when you lose and you have to take accountability, the answer to that is no. They didn't get enough across the board in all those areas. Let's get some phone calls in here with Brick, and I I do want to talk about Montreal as well because they deserve a lot of the credit for, I think, the way the Bruins look through much of this series. Mike is in New Hampshire. He joins Mutt and Lou and Andy Brickley today. Mike, go ahead. Hey, guys. Hi, Mike. Uh, 
Uh, the I'm with you, Brick, as far as the, the maturity. The, the, they kind of tricked me this year because they had a different vibe about them. They didn't have that uh, we're going to collect like have near defeat like we did in game seven against uh, Toronto. It just seemed like they were, they were smarter and they had learned from their past mistakes. And then they go out and lay an absolute egg like that last night. I don't think I've ever been as disappointed in a Bruins team in my life. And you're talking, and this is somebody who was at game seven against Philadelphia in 2010. It's just, and you know, I don't even want to start talking about the posts, but the miss opportunities. I mean, how many chances did they have to bury, and how many times did they just flat out miss? Yeah, that was uh, that was problematic, obviously. And again, it's it's probably in the top three or four as far as reasons why they lost, and probably the top two in that uh, list of four or five uh, would be on the Montreal side of the ledger and what they did in order to win this series. But you know, part of that maturity too, and I look at a guy like Tuka Rask and his ability to play the game and the contrast in style to his predecessor and. And that looked like a more mature goaltender this year with the success that he had uh, the, the previous year, the dice that he rolled with his contract negotiations and his ability to perform under pressure uh, and the way he plays, you know, where he lets the game come to him and he controls his rebounds. And with the Bruins system, he knows exactly where the shots are coming from. Well, I'll tell you what, it looked like that on Montreal's side yeah. in this series with the way Price played. You know, Price was awesome in game one. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't put him in the awesome category in two through seven, but obviously really, really, really good, you know. And and just his demeanor and the way he was able to control rebounds and uh, and the believability that he instilled in his team was was far better than Boston. And, and the caller talking about puck luck and missing opportunities. I mean, when you, we make the list here going forward, uh, I, uh, people going back to the trading deadline who brought up get a goal score, get somebody to strengthen the depth on the offensive side. Andy Brickley, you're right at the front of the list. It, guys like me were just screaming about defense, defense, defense. When you are in, in, going to Matt Frazier, who was good, and then in game seven, sitting Frazier and elevating Daniel Paye, that's a sign to me you were probably a finisher or two short. And that's, that's not to take away because they have skilled guys who didn't finish, so I'm not taking all the, the pressure off of a Krejci, Lucic, I can't knock on a Gimli, hit five goals in the playoffs that they played. Marshan uh, deserves some of the blame here as well, but they were probably at the end, they were probably one guy short from a forward depth standpoint. Well, again, it's it was the you know the ideal wish list at yeah. the trading deadline, and, and you don't know the ABCs and contracts and what deals were out there and what was being asked in return and you know all the variables that go into making deals. But, uh, yeah, that ideal wish list, because if you get into a situation – uh, not only through the month of March and the first two weeks of April, but when you get into the postseason and things aren't working and things are stale offensively, meaning, you know, one goal in six and seven, you have to have the ability to make quick changes during the course of the game and have interchangeable parts and pull people back and sit them down. Or, you know, I mean, they took Montreal took Briere out of the lineup. He was a healthy scratch and he comes back with two points and three, you know, three goals in game seven. Uh, and I don't think the Bruins really had that luxury. Had had they had the opportunity to bring in a veteran guy, he didn't have to be a finisher, but he had to be a guy that could play multiple positions, had playoff experience, who you had trust and believability in that you could put him in the lineup and move other parts around in order to find that ignition to some more offense. Maybe that makes a difference in a series like this. Do you think that uh, Cole was slow to kind of move things around? 
Would you would you have changed up some lines, and what would they have been if you? Well, if you I, I I wouldn't have because <laughs> when you don't make a regular practice of it, and they did some during that stretch at the last end, couple weeks. Yeah, and then and then you know Claude was unhappy with his team's performance, even though they had really nothing to play for until the President's Trophy became you know in doubt. Uh, and then they had a couple play play a couple meaningful games in order to secure that if that was part of uh, one of their goals. But he moved some people around. He tried to take some guys out of the lineup. So you saw a different personnel playing with different personnel. It didn't look so good. But there was that wasn't something that was a regular practice with the Bruins. Uh, they were pretty consistent with the line combinations all year. And now you get to a game seven, which you expected. You expected this to go six or seven. And and when you start switching things around, when it's still a one goal manageable game. I can see why they wouldn't do it. You know, I get that. Uh, you know, and, and you try to you try to get what you've been getting all year, which is better play from your top guys, and, and it just wasn't there. And, you know, maybe you can make an argument for making, you know, switching up the lines, but I can understand why they didn't. Uh, Frank is in Marshfield talking about last night's game. Hi, Frank. Hi, guys. Thanks for the uh, therapy session. <laughs> that was <laughs> it's disappointing a, a Boston team loss, as I can remember in a long time. You know, we've had a lot of good wins, but uh, – that was painful. I'll tell you, puck luck, that's a real, it's being like an overused mm. slogan around here. It's not It's not luck. It's not good luck or bad luck when it happens that often. You know what I mean? They just don't have the finishes. And, uh, and my second thing is back to the dead, back to the trade deadline deal. You sure. know, every year it seems like, you know, last year Yager was our second option. You know, we lost out on a Ginla, so we pick up Yager. Okay, whatever. Um, this year, you know, Vanek was out there. Um, there was a need for a, for a front-line defenseman, you know, and they just don't do enough. And you can't – I don't care how good you are or you think you are. You, you, most teams, all teams, need guys at the trade deadline. You know what I mean? Look at St. Louis, Vanek. I mean, those guys are still playing. Well, You've got to get a good guy, not a second – you know, not your second option. And that's what it is for me. Frank, Thank for me, I, I, we'll spend more time on this, I think, tomorrow. And I, I want to get Brick's thoughts on this before he gets out of here at noon. But Peter Shirelli, the, 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 the soundbite that could be was going to be used one of two ways. The soundbite where he says, you know, we never win the trading deadline. was going to be used either as, hey, look, we did it again. We made it back to a cup final. We never win, but we still get to the cup final, even without making major trades. Or it was, yeah. Maybe you put too many eggs in the Alexander Edler basket. That came out on behind the B afterwards. Them thinking they had a deal done with Vancouver. That thing fell apart, and they're left with Mazeros. Well, Mazeros watched the game up on, on level nine with Brick and Jack last night. And Barkowski struggled at times during this series. So the trading deadline for Peter Shirelli, yeah, people are going to look back at that and say, did you do enough at that point to offensively and defensively uh, re- reset your team for the stretch run? couple of things, and uh, I'll be curious to listen to your shows in the, in the ensuing days to hear that kind of <laughs> conversation because Good. today's not the day to have sure. it because oh, you know, everything's too raw. Yeah. Uh, and when you lose, it, it gets crazy. Uh, but a couple of things. You know, a guy like Danny Bruyere, we had a graphic post-game with his, you know, his post-season career numbers. And there's a minus six attached to, to the great numbers that he has, and that is okay. <laughs> that is perfectly okay. Yeah. You know, you, you want him for a certain style of hockey – in order to help create offense, and you live with the minus because, you know, that's all right, you know. Uh, and you think about, you know, 
when you when you say the Bruins didn't have a they don't have enough finishers. Well, people will say, well, weren't they like second or third, third. in the league in goals? Yeah, two thirty, two thirty goal scores. But here's the difference: you play in the same team and the same goalie seven straight games. You know, you're not mixing in a Buffalo. You're not mixing in uh, an Edmonton. You know, in a seven game stretch, it's the same Montreal team with the same challenges and with one of the best goalies in the world. So. You know, that changes the offensive numbers and it changes the offensive challenges. So you need to be more, you need to qualify it a little bit more. You didn't have enough finishers in a postseason second round. That's what it came down to. They had enough finishers in the first round. They had plenty of good finishes during the regular season. Mm -hmm. But when you play the same team and the same challenges you get with the same great goaltender, that's where you need a little bit more. Uh, Andy Brickley will be here until noon, breaking down this game with you guys. 617-779-7937, the AT&T text line is 37937. It started with Brick on the game itself last night. When we come back, Brick, i got to get your take on after the game. You know, Milan Lucic frustrated. What happened there in the handshake line with the Montreal Canadiens? We'll get Brick's opinion on that and many more of your phone calls. Mutt and Lou and Andy Brickley of Nesson, Sports Radio, WEEI. Hanging out with Andy Brickley of Nesson, trying to pick through a rough Bruins loss last night. Season over, and it'll be Montreal and New York in the Eastern Conference Final, Muttonloo, 93-7, WEEI. So we were pretty hard in the first 20 minutes of this show, not only on the Bruins' effort last night, Brick, but the effort or lack thereof of Milan Lucic. Not only the two shots combined in games 5, 6, and 7, but the post-game antics where Dale Weiss and others uh, are reported to have been threatened in the post game by Milan Lucic saying, uh, I'm going to expletive kill you guys next year. Uh, you've been through a lot of these, those post game handshakes. Have you ever seen or heard of a guy you know, sort of threatening big picture in a, a handshake line like that in the NHL? No, I haven't. And uh, I, I took a quick, you know, straw poll last night post game when, when that became a quick topic sure. uh, after the series had ended, you know, from guys that had been that had played in the NHL or at any professional level that were in the building and certainly in our circle, and uh, nobody could come up with any example of that. You know, I'd be pretty straightforward here. There are certain, there are certain traditions that require respect and require absolutely no disrespect, and one of them is the handshake line. It's, it's fairly unique to professional sports. Uh, you've had seven games to trash talk all you want. That is not the time. Winners, you know, win with class and losers lose with class. And uh, and if that's the case, then, you know, Milan would be totally in the wrong. Are you disappointed when you kind of, when the story started to come out? Um, well, I'm already disappointed. I'm yeah. already there. So yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much more disappointed I could be. It just adds to the frustration and, uh, you know, some of the nonsense that you get. And again, it goes back to my own personal inability to have a better read on that maturity level that I talked about because that's an immature act. You know, when when Subban went uh, Subban, how we what do we pronounce him anyway? Subban, <laughs> Subban. I, I call them everything. Yeah, when PK, uh, I can call him a lot more. I, I suppose it's Subban, <laughs> but when when you know the whole water spray incident by Thornton, and uh, it, when I was asked about that, it was more like you know just grow up. Don't don't say it was two minutes and you couldn't see. I mean, that's just immature. I thought it was an immature wine. On PK's part or yeah, what Thornton on, did? No, well, Thornton was obviously wrong. You're totally right. wrong. And the league stepped in and at least fined him. But it was it was it was a not a smart move by Sean Thornton. And and uh and the reaction from me was, you know, don't whine about it, PK. Just move on. You know, don't make it a big story, which he continued to do, even though he said he wasn't. And 
and it's not something I won't even get into, but the point being, you got to be a, a mature player, you're a mature athlete, especially when you get this, you know, you get into the second round and a chance to get to the conference finals and you're one of the leaders of your team. You know, be a mature person. And this is, this reeks of immaturity if that's what happened in the, in the handshake. My, fo- my yeah. follow up would be, and it seems like you have no, it's no place for it. So you're saying there was nothing. Because you see the game differently. Someone who played, I think you see things that, that I wouldn't see or Lou might not see on the ice where maybe someone is pushing the buttons, like kind of getting under the skin, playing dirty with Milan Lucic. You didn't see anything in the series that would force Milan to that? You didn't see Montreal specifically playing dirty with Lucic to lead to that brick? Nothing out of the ordinary? Oh, no, you know, Lucic is a he's, he's a targeted guy because he's targeting Canadians. And, uh, you know, and then the whole, uh, you know, chest pumping and, uh, you know, muscle flexing and uh, whether that's about Boston strong or not and when did that actually come up and then we doing the same thing, you know, mimicking them. Like, all that was pretty obvious what was going on. Sure. You never know. Maybe a player challenges another player and he just says, I'm not going to I'm not gonna go with you. And then, you know, it, I can understand where the frustration and the anger and the disappointment is coming from in Milan Lucic. But once you get into that handshake line, it can't be there. You know, like I said, you had – Plenty of time to have conversations and trash talk and say, you know, keep your head up next year because, you know, because I can't get it done in this playoff series because of the position that we're in as a team. I'll certainly have my opportunity next year. Yeah, see, that's the thing that frustrates me is that it just sort of it feeds into what you've been hearing a lot about north of the border, right? And then you go right there and say, well, no, 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 this is how they play. This is how they play. Then Luch is not a goon, right? Even though deep down he was a physical player, but he's not a goon. Then you see something like that or a bully. And it's just like, man, you're just you're feeding it. You know, you're feeding it even more. And that's one of the reasons why I think, you know, you are disappointed. But I think it, it does go to show, Brick, and you, you tell me it's, you know, the big bad Bruins. This was a different Montreal team. There there was a little bit more toughness to them, you know, with Preston, Moen, and some of these guys, Yemlin and, and Weiss. And it was a different edge. They weren't intimidated by the big bad Bruins, and they didn't allow them to get into their heads. And for that, you give them credit. Yeah, and it's that carryover effect. When you when you change the culture and you change the way you perceive yourself as a hockey player, it, it, it affects how physical you can be. And when you have some guys that bring a physical or a physicality to their game and they lead in that direction, yet they can still play hockey – it carries over to the rest of your team. When you, if you're the Montreal Canadiens, you say, "All right, what's our game plan? How are we going to beat the Bruins? You know, best team in the league. Here's what they do. This is their strengths. How do we attack their strengths? How do we, how do we expose their weaknesses? And it's going, it's going to require toughness. We have to respond, or we have to initiate the physical aspects of the game. So you get your physical guys to be the leaders in that area. I mean, that's one of the reasons they put Doug Murray in the lineup, mm-hmm. and then. You know, and have the ability to take them out when you know, when they need to make adjustments and make changes. But you need all 20 guys buying in. And when you get that kind of play from your physical guys and then you see a Placanitz and a DeArnay, you know, not, not, not big guys by any stretch, but then they use their guile and their stick and, you know, the little chops away from the cameras and the stuff that gets under players' skin and they take good angles on Krejci. They force them into areas. They tag team him where they, they angle him in one direction. Here comes the second layer to, to, you know, to break him up and deny him where he wants to go and frustrate him even more. I mean, that's all part of the game plan, and it takes the 20 guys to do it. It starts with the physical play from the physical leaders, but then you get the buy-in from the rest of the team, and you saw a lot of that from Montreal in the series. And we're getting a lot of the Claude Lemieux stuff on the AT&T text line talking about was Dino Cicerelli and Darren McCarty 
who still shook hands in 96 and then settled things the next year and saying Milan Lucic should have just kept his mouth shut, shook hands, and go get him without having to say something. Uh, Paul's in Denham talking about the Bruins in this series. And then game seven, he's on with Andy Brickley. Go ahead, Paul. Uh, Paul's gone. Uh, Ralph's in Cranston. Ralph, what's going on, man? Hey, guys. Uh, hey, Ralph. You know, I'm a Bruins fan, and I, I wish they won. But, you know, we can't, we can't make excuses and say they should have made a better deal on an O2 another day at the, at the trade deadline. But, you know, I was I was crushed in O3 when, when Bone hit the home run and the uh, the Brady uh, year that could have been undefeated when they got beat in the Super Bowl. And even when the Celtics got beat by the Lakers in the seventh game. This guy's I got to tell you, I'm not crushed by it. It's almost like, you know what, good riddance the way they played. I, I don't care what you say, but the, the poor sportsmanship should have never been there, the squirt in the water and stuff. But the to come out in the seventh game, if you cannot get jacked and give it a thousand percent effort and, and, and whatever you have to give to be there, Brick, I'm sure you've seen series like that, and you can't do that in the seventh game against Montreal, you do not deserve to, to, to win. And I got to tell you, I'm down on it. Hey, bring on the Red Sox, bring on everything else. I'm done with the season because of the way it ended. I don't respect this team anywhere near as much as I did in the regular season. To have a first period like they had last night in Game 7, you could almost tolerate it if it happened like in Game 1 or 2. Right. <laughs> you know, but here you are in a in a Seven. deciding game on home ice, everything you worked so hard for, and, and that respect and admiration that you expect from your fan base based on what you've been able to accomplish to this point, and it just disappears in 20 minutes. You know, the, the aggravation and the frustration and the disappointment and, and, and all those negative feelings because you just watched their worst period probably of the year, and everybody was culpable. I mean, it was hard to pick out a player. I know people say, well, Bergeron was, you know, pretty good. He was probably their best player all night. But, you know, best player relative to what? You know, I mean, it yeah, just see, wasn't good enough. I know you, when you talk about best players, and we all know their best players are better than yours. You know, but I still do I still do look at that youth. Uh, the, just I look at Miller and Barkowski, game six, game seven. Two minutes into it at the Bell Center, you go, that bad giveaway, you're down. Larzella, 218, I think it was. Last night, 211, whatever it was, into the game. You know, Barkowski kind of heading to swivel, watching the, watching the puck and not kind of being where he needs to be position-wise. I think when those things happen early on, I think everybody sort of tightens up. Or, they, or it looked like they did. Everybody just tightened up and said, here we go, we're down one, now we got to chase. And it just, that, I think that changes a lot early on in those games. Those are huge mistakes. Yeah, they're huge mistakes, and, and they're growing pains, and young guys are going to learn from this experience. Uh, I think they all they all bring far more positive than they do negative, even in this series. Um, you know, you were hoping you'd get greater leadership from the established guys, the guys that have been through these situations that uh, would step up and play better. Uh, but you're right. This was a series where the Bruins were behind. They were behind constantly in this series, and you hear that phrase all the time. They were chasing it. They were chasing the puck. They were chasing the game. And when they had puck possession, they were chasing the score. And, and, and you can't win like that because you're playing good teams that know how to play with the lead, especially a team like Montreal. Uh, I would tell you right now, the Suffolk DA is currently holding a press conference, and they have officially indicted Aaron Hernandez on a double murder in 2012. It's some pretty uh, pretty incredible words coming out of the DA's mouth, and, and we will play you that audio uh, at noon here on Sports Radio WEI, yeah, bringing you Red Sox baseball uh, at twelve twenty-five. I want to come back and talk because we're getting so many texts about it, Brick. I want to talk about the officials last night and get your take on the way Game Seven was officiated. Then we're not do a lot of this, but I do have to get a, a little look ahead from Andy Brickley on this offseason for the Bruins and what this roster may or may not look like as they try to bounce back from 
uh, as bad a loss as the Philadelphia loss was years ago when they had a 3 nothing series lead, ended up losing it. Brick is in the house. We'll get more of your phone calls with him next. Sports Radio, WEEI. No doubt it's a, it's a disappointing uh, night for us. Uh, but at the same time, I think our young guys uh, this year uh, did a great job of stepping in for some serious injuries to certain of our players and, uh, and allowed us to have a real good season. So uh, maybe it came back to, to haunt us a little bit, but uh, certainly not disappointed with, the, with our team. Claude, not disappointed. A lot of fans are. We've taken your phone calls all day about this Bruins team and the disappointment of the season being over. Andy Brickley of Nesson uh, is in the house. Uh, I'll start with the officiating last night. Many people texting saying if the game was officiated differently, the Bruins would have won. How much of an impact last night, Brick, was the official officiating on the final score 3-1? Um, I don't think it had a major impact on the on the final result. Uh, this loss is totally on the Bruin players and not the officials. Were there some calls that you would argue and disagree with? Absolutely. It happens every game. I think it's an issue for the league, uh, the consistency and the, and the ever-changing uh, threshold of what's a penalty and what's not a penalty, game to game, period to period. I think it's an area that they have to clean up as far as the league. It needs to be better. Uh, I, I think you could talk, as far as hockey's concerned, I mean, all the way down. I was talking to Teddy Donato the other day about college and, you know, in and, and, and the grassroots levels and where are the better officials going to come from. I mean, that's a discussion for a totally different day. But as far as its impact on a Game 7 loss for Boston, absolutely not. That's on the players. Do you like the idea of having the same crew for the entire series? I do. I do. I, I like that. I, Why I haven't like they the, thought I about like that, that before? It's been going for... It, uh, you know, Lou, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm not privy to those decisions or the decision-making or what's involved. Uh, I think it's a really strong idea, and, and maybe it'll get some traction. I mean, I, hopefully you would think that, you know, because it could have a different reaction, right? I mean, game one, you know, Claude Julian, if he gets that bench minor and he's going off on the guy who actually ended up doing game seven. But I'm just saying, after game one, you might not be happy that this is your crew the rest of the series, but at least there's some consistency. At least you're well aware of, of how it's going to be officiated. You know what's going to... You know, what's going to happen? I, I don't think the refs last night had an effect on this series, you know, but I wasn't. It doesn't mean I was happy with them. I don't think it was an excuse why they lost. The Bruins didn't deserve to win that game last night. It's all, it's all perspective. You know, you could go ask the same question to, you know, the Montreal side of things, and, and you may get a similar response. You may not, but I, I think they would have the same issues, mm-hmm. you know, based on the way they see the calls made, based on the way they play in the style that they play. So, you know, it's all perspective, but it needs it needs to be, again, it needs more consistency and more consistency in the threshold than what's a penalty. Uh, John and Quincy actually want to talk about the officials last night. John, go ahead. Andy, how, how does how does the officials from last night get picked to do Game Seven when they did an earlier game in the series and they they give a penalty on the coach, which is basically unheard of? You would think they'd have some fresh people in there that would have different, totally neutral, not someone that's had an issue with the coach earlier in the in the. Uh, in the, in the series. Well, I got to think it's performance based and, and I appreciate your point. And, and I'm, I'm, uh, I don't know if I'm a hundred percent in agreement with you, but <laughs> I, I hear where you're coming from totally. And, and I think that way myself. Um, but that being said, I, from what I understand, it's based on performance experience, you know, all the factors that go in, who can hit best handle and best deliver a quality performance for a referee in a game seven between, you know, the two most it's, arch it's, rivals in the history of the game. It's like it would be like in the NBA, Doc Rivers getting teed up in Game Two, and then then the same crew's doing Game Seven. You would never see that. To me, it just makes 
absolutely no sense. Well, I, I, yeah, John, I'll let you finish, but that's happened before too, by the way. And that's a conversation uh, we had in the uh, in the in the green room, or what do you want to call it, before the pregame show last night. That uh, Jack Edwards brought that up, saying, "What do you make of this?" And uh, you know, you hope it's not a factor, but. And they know that quote calls a lot of penalties. They called six penalties on the Bruins in the, in the first game, the first time around. Where was the crew that? Well, they had a game think- seven LA. They didn't call a lot of penalties. I mean, Dave Jack. We had it was you know, Pierre told us yesterday. Dave Jackson calls one of the tightest games in the NHL. Stick work. He's going to call right away. And you saw two. Both teams got one of these last night, where it's kind of like sort of grabbing the other guy's stick. Right. And both teams got that penalty. So uh, and, and Dan Halloran doesn't. Was, again, wasn't that wasn't that the message? Yeah, hey, listen, and, <laughs> I'm yeah. serious. And, yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, just because I, I don't think the refs had an effect doesn't mean I can't bitch about a couple things I saw last night. Number one, being the goalie interference on Marshawn after he took a high stick from from Markov is the reason why he actually fell. The other one was Riley Smith out front getting dumped. You know, I didn't like that one at all. And I think the rep it was a reputation. The the shower from Brad Marshawn that was a reputation call. Yeah, and the immediate thought is a similar situation by Lars Eller earlier yeah. in the series where there was no call. So if you have the same officials, maybe that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Well, we're not going to hold you to this, Brick, but you know, Lou and I were talking before the show about what's going to change next year. For the Pittsburgh Penguins, Biles was probably gone. James Neal's – it's going to be a major overhaul. I don't think it's going to be a major overhaul for the Boston Bruins, but if you had to guess – again, we won't hold you to this – is there one big move – or not. I'll put the over-under at one half big move. <laughs> you want to go over or under significant either player or players, plural, move before opening day next year? Well, less than, opening twi- night. Less than 24 hours removed. Yeah, it's early. It's early. <laughs> I admit that it's early, but and when I, I talk I, to you, I want to no, get this now. Well, you know, I'm around all summer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I do live in the neighborhood. Well, there is a go- there's a golf course around <laughs> well, here busy. you'll be you're around. Busy. I know that. And, and, it, and by the way, it's a shame it has to end. Yeah, I enjoyed our conversation. Certainly love being in studio. Oh, and by the way, you, I'm not he- going to be here in a couple weeks. <laughs> well, They're moving I, I wasn't me. I was going to bring that up. You You're going to be talking to Lou probably. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> so I get to ask that question. Uh, okay, to answer the question, yes, I think that there will be a move of significance uh, oh. by this Bruins team in order to uh, kind of reconfigure their team moving forward. And, uh, you know, who that remains to be or what kind of deal. Maybe there was a deal that was in the makings during the trading deadline that may right. come to surface around the, you know, the amateur draft. Uh, but I, I do. I think that they've stayed with this core group uh, long enough or certainly given them ample opportunity to have deep playoff runs. Uh, and even though Montreal was a difficult challenge and a difficult matchup that they knew, I think there's, there's a way to improve this team and I think it will involve making a deal, and it will be a player of significance. Yeah, you know, I, I keep going back to – I think you heard even behind the B there on Nesson. Just when they were evaluating a lot last year, I mean, they want players obviously in a regular season, but they do look at the postseason. You know, and they look at the, I want my guys to perform in the postseason. That's what we're here for. And I don't think that involves David Krejci as much as he didn't perform. We know what he is. Maybe we find out there's something going on with him physically. I don't know. But you're allowed to after being so dominant for two – you know. Stanley Cup runs, they have a, a stinker, right? In my book, but when you go twenty games in a row without a goal, I think you start looking at a guy like Brad Marchand, and I think you start looking at is it worth it right now? Four and a half million dollars for the next couple of years, it, you you have to start looking at it. Yeah, and, and then you have to consider, you know, the individual player, and uh, you know, there are years you could be in the same town for fifteen years. And somewhere in there, year four, you had a bad year. You had a, an inconsistent year. You got hot for about a month, 
but for the other six months it wasn't working and you had a bad postseason. But is that enough to make it want to want to deal a guy that's young, that brings a lot to the table, that's had great moments in your uniform? So those are the things you have to, as a management team, you know, you got to figure out. You know, and that's where I think it's been a couple years for him now. Well, you could make that argument. You could make that argument. He had, what, 20, 21 goals or mm-hmm. something this year. And, uh, you know, he break down his playoff performance. Uh, third period, game two, probably his best moments. You know, he was a factor in that yep. comeback victory. Mm-hmm. Uh, was he capable of doing more? Absolutely. But, yeah, you know, he's a guy that comes up in conversation, as do a number of names and, and what the Bruins can do to to improve their team and, and uh, what are they going to look like position by position? Uh, where do they need to get deeper? Where do they need to get better? You know, if the Bruins, if you're if you're an individual player, you bring up David Krejci, and you're and it's not a good matchup for you in this series. That's where that's where the variety of your team and your in your lineup needs to pick him up, and you know the guys that have the better get him matchup, to the next get, matchup, get him to the next matchup, yeah. and now he puts up you know a twelve point performance in a series against the Rangers. You know it. It matters, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the way things go. There are series where you're pretty dry because of the matchup, but then there's other series where you're real rich and you put a lot of production up, and, and that's what happens when you go one, two, three, four series deep, and I, I, I think that's what the expectation was. If you could get by this great challenge of the Montreal Canadiens, maybe it would get a little less challenging in the next round, believe it or not, but they just didn't have enough to get by Montreal. Well, get used to it. The way this playoffs format is set up, it's you and Montreal every yeah. year in some way, shape, or form, which I, I think is good. They might not be thrilled about it today. Uh, I think mean we got to listen to Marinaro again? That'll be up to you. Yeah, your it, show here pretty you, soon. You will uh, enjoy not, it when you're on the opposite side. Well, of the I, that's what I mean. I'll today enjoy listening <laughs> to it. It wasn't so much. It wasn't so much fun. I can tell you that this morning, it really wasn't. Uh, Thirty seconds. Rangers or Canadians representing the East in the uh, Stanley Cup Finals break? I'm gonna go Rangers. You know, I could never pick the Canadians. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. You know, I can't. play it, Joey, all day. All week, we are Rangers fans. Uh, he is Andy Brickley of Nesson. He has uh, joined us throughout the year when he joined us in the playoffs. Uh, HSA Insurance, Joe and Lee's Performance Golf Center, and Norfolk Power Equipment uh, made it happen for us and our listeners. Brick, thank you very much for this entire season and run. And I don't know if I'll, these guys are talking we'll, to me we'll in this time you, slot. I'll be listening in the offseason. And, of course, you next year. You can talk year. to Mutt at night, too. Yeah, you uh, said you're going to call in on the way home. I'm going to. I get Brick in the car driving home because I'll be on the air when you're get, leaving Nesson. Uh, you're leaving the garden. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversations, but uh, I'm not going to kiss either one of you on the cheek on my way out. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a big kiss, Brick. <laughs> Thank you, Brick. Andy Brickley here in studio. We'll come back. Your chance to win Red Sox tickets is a couple of minutes away. And the Suffolk DA held a press conference today. They've indicted Aaron Hernandez on another murder charge. You'll hear that next. Sports Radio, WEEI. Hey, if you love authentic sports memories,